Walter Brueggemann, Old Testament scholar, has said these words. The words with which we praise God shape the world in which we shall live. I'm going to say that again. The words with which we praise God shape the world in which we live. Words matter. I can remember um, growing up in youth group, whenever we would take a mission trip or a trip or whatever, we would come back and we would have a Sunday service at church where we just came back to testify, to talk about what God had done. Dorothy Day, who is the founder of the Catholic Workers Movement, knows the importance of testifying, of getting out and proclaiming those words of hope. She said, if I achieved anything in my life, it is because I have not been embarrassed to talk about God. Every day, every moment, we have a chance to testify. My preaching professor at Candler, Tom Long, said these words in his book about testifying. He said, at the most profound level, Christians talk about faith because it is a truly human act to want to tell. So what does it mean to testify? If we look at a definition, it means we bear witness to something. We, we talk about the things that um, we have seen and heard and things that we are uh, offering proof of to the world. We, you have testimony in court. You have testimony in a church. You have testimonies um, when somebody's trying to buy you something. They'll tell you how great that product is because of what it's done for them. We put a lot of stock in what someone else says. Uh, Dr. Long went on to say that even if every person in the world were already a Christian, we would still need to talk about God in the same way a mariner needs to talk about the sea. We would need to talk about God to be truthful, to be whole, and for life to be full. He goes on to say that what's missing in our culture is not God talk, but authentic God talk. 1 Samuel 3, 1 kind of gives some insight to that. In that moment in Israel's history, those words tell us that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Now, that didn't mean they weren't talking about God. It was just that all of their talk lacked an authenticity. And there was a lot of God talk, but very little talk about God and who God genuinely was in it. The words of the prophet Jeremiah provide the framework for today's sermon. Jeremiah's words uh, were proclaimed in a time in which he lived and testified through the region of four of Judah's kings. He was called to ministry early in the reign of young Josiah, who, having inherited a corrupt throne, found himself, while yet a child, the sovereign ruler of a people called up, caught up in idolatry and sin. But day by day, Jeremiah would stand in the streets of Jerusalem and utter his tender, solemn message. His earlier messages had been preserved to us from the beginning of his prophecy, reminding God's people of the ancient covenant and their formal faithfulness, former faithfulness and blessing. 
And through that, he appealed tenderly and solemnly to their hearts. He preached, he pled, he warned, he waited, year after year. And gradually, some improvement appeared until after a while, it seemed like the nation was returning to God. He summoned princes, priests, prophets, and people to righteousness and holiness to circumcise their hearts and not merely rest in a ceremonial worship or an outward reformation. He wanted to see hearts changed for God. In Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16, we hear these words. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety, and this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Jeremiah was proclaiming a message of hope. The Lord is our righteousness. Now, a lot of us come here today off of a Thanksgiving week in which it might have been totally chaotic. You may have argued with family the whole entire time or argued about politics. I mean, some people like Trump and some people don't, and you can't just say, pass the corn. You know, when the topic comes up, you have to deal with it. Sometimes you're dealing with, um, with issues in a family that relate to moves. My, my dad, who's 92, just moved from his house where he lived with my mom to an apartment for senior living in Athens. And with a move always comes stress. It's good stress, but it's, you know... It's been a full four days for me, and I'm sure a lot of you can relate. There was, um, you know, moments of angst over the holidays. I think every family, we love our holidays, but somebody might not have done the turkey just right or the dressing just right, and sometimes that creates an argument. And that's a small thing, but we understand how tensions and exhaustion and all those things can happen in the waiting. Jeremiah um, was dealing with a people who had waited for a long time, who had waited for years. They were waiting for Messiah to come. They were waiting for deliverance. They were waiting for God's righteousness to be embodied in the Messiah. And the pro he was telling them, of the promise of the one who would come, the righteous one who would come from the tree of Jesse. But they were exhausted. He lived in days in which it was proclaimed through the Psalms, How long, O Lord? Have you ever prayed those words? I have. Many of us wait. For goodness, many of us wait for hope. Many of us simply press forward, but Jeremiah's testimony 
And our testimony reminds us of a God who is good, a God who keeps his promises, a God who is righteous. One of the things Charles talked about in the 830 sermon this morning, and he'll mention this at 11, is that in the Old Testament, righteousness of God was described through God's character, and he was true to his character. He was faithful. He was just. Whenever he said he was going to do something, he did it. In the New Testament, that righteousness of God came in the form of Jesus Christ, the babe whose birth we will remember and celebrate this Christmas whose birth we celebrate and anticipate in in Advent, even as we wait for whatever it is we're waiting for, whether it's a job or financial security, whether it's waiting to see what the next step is going to be for a relative. But those testimonies of God remind us that He is good always, that he is righteous and that he loves us so much that he would send his son, Jesus. Righteous love is the kind of love that chooses the right even when it may not be popular. The love of Jesus, that righteous love, is a love that sacrifices when it would be more natural to preserve And amidst all the angst, injustices, the the unrighteous hatreds we can experience in this world, if we look carefully, we can see examples of it around us. Um, One of the the things that I know is that um, I've had people in my life who have been willing to put themselves out there for what is right and just in the name of God. Um, My dad, and I may have shared this story with you before, my dad was school superintendent in Fayette County around the time that schools were integrated. Now, I was a baby. I was about Claire's size, I think, and I'm told now that there were death threats against me and my whole family simply because my dad believed that everybody had the right to an education that was quality and they had a right to come together for that education. He sat down with the KKK face to face. Now, I can't imagine doing that, but he sat down with them. He had FBI guarding him and our family for a very long time. I don't remember any of that. But I know my dad had my back, and I know God has my back. And he fought for what was right, and he fought for what was just, because he has a God who is his Lord who taught him that. That is an example that I learned by. I recently read the story about a man who, um, at his school, Uh, You know, at school this time of year, you do your gift exchanges and whatnot, and and this is a man who is about my age, and he he has an old matchbox car that looks really beat up that he always keeps on his desk. And he, he told me about that story. He said that um, when he was in the classroom and they were doing their gift exchange, you know, they had drawn their numbers and he and his parents had gone out, they had bought this nice 
toy and brought it to school for his exchange. And he, they'd wrapped it up, they put it in a package and all this. And then um, when he got his gift, it was wrapped in a newspaper and it was about this big. And he opened it up and it was a matchbox card that had been played with and used and scratched up. And he's like, well, wait a minute. I went out and got this really nice gift and this is what I get. But then he got to know the kid who gave him that. And he learned that this little boy didn't have much. And that this little boy loved that matchbox car more than anything, but he wanted to be able to give something. So he gave his prized possession. And though this friend tried to give it back, he said, no, you're my friend. I love you. I want you to have it. And every Christmas... He is reminded that that perhaps is the greatest Christmas gift he's ever been given because it was simply a gift given from the heart, a gift that was given in sacrifice, something precious just so that that person could receive something. In Advent, we struggle with stress, we struggle with longings and anticipation, not always for God, but we we struggle with tensions and anxiety, but we must remember that the righteous love of God is that gift that is the most precious thing that we have been given. The gift of Jesus Christ is the most precious thing that we have been given. And that every time we testify to that love of God, we are testifying to the hope and the mercy, the love, the grace, and the peace of God. So I encourage you to use your words, use your life, find that which is precious and give it. One of the, I take notes during sermons. And one of the things, I'm going to steal what Charles said this morning. He said, Advent is a time when we are to look at our hearts and see where the grace of God needs to be applied the most. As you look at your life and see where the grace of God needs to be applied the most, remember that righteous love that He has given to you. As you look around you, look at others and see where the grace of God needs to be applied the most. And remember that God loved us enough to send His only begotten Son to whoever believed in Him would not perish but have life eternal. That is a gift we can give when we simply speak out and testify. Love is an amazing thing. One of my favorite songs, um, we, we're going to use this the song Testify to Love, which is a song that Winona Judd sang, but she and her mom also did another song about love. And I want to read the lyrics to you to remind you what love is this day. And then we're going to come to our table. I'd gladly walk across the desert with no shoes upon my feet to share with you the last bite of bread I had to eat. I would swim back to save you in your sea of broken dreams. And when all your hopes are sinking... Let me show you what love means. 
I would whisper love so loudly every heart could understand that love and only love can join the tribes of man. I would give my heart's desire so that you might see the first step is to realize it all begins with you and me. When we stand together, it's our finest hour. We can do anything if we believe in the power. Love can build a bridge between your heart and mine. Don't you think it's time? Let us love each other well. As we come to the table this day, let us remember the great love and grace that Jesus has given to us through following God's will for his life, through being the light of the world, the example of love at its finest and righteous love at its finest. He sat at a table with his disciples and told them how much he loved them when he took the bread and he broke it. He gave thanks to God and reminded them that this bread was symbolic of his body that would be broken and given for them and for us. He would take the cup that night and he would give thanks to God for it and he would also remind them to take and drink it that this was symbolic of the blood of the new covenant which he, had shed, he would shed so that we would know forgiveness of sin, so that we would know life, that he would pay the price for us. That great love pointed out that night at that table is available to each and every one of us. We have an opportunity to take it in today. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we come before you um, standing as sinners in need of your grace and love and mercy. And so we are thankful for this table. We are thankful for your son. And we are thankful for you. For you have loved us from the very beginning. We ask that you would pour out your spirit on each person here, on this space, on this church, on this bread, on this juice. Infuse us with your spirit and your love. We ask these things in your name.